This Quadcast podcast is brought to you by the book Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. For too long, people of faith have focused more on pointing out where other religions get it wrong. But what if we decided to focus more on all the ways those other religions get it right? This path might end up leading us into deeper understanding, connection, friendship, and peace. This was the idea behind the book that Choir Publishing and Pathios decided to assemble, gathering voices from different religious backgrounds who have learned to listen to those outside their own faith traditions. We hope that the wisdom they share with us here allows you to become more open to the truth and beauty to be found outside your own faith community. Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, from Choir Publishing and Pathios, available now on Amazon. Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Hello everybody, welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast I gotta say, after what, how many years we've been doing this podcast um, I really still love that theme song Thank you, thank you so much Barrett Um so good. And uh, it's good to be back. Good to be here. We are continuing our uh, series on uh, What's Up, Doc? Talk, looking at these uh, conservative Christian documentaries. I'm sure there's like 10 others being made right now about Mike Bickle and IHOP and all kinds of things. I mean, so this is this could go on forever. But um, we're going to talk about a really fascinating uh, documentary that's on Netflix. And we'll jump into that in just a minute. But first, let's do some introductions. My name is Keith Giles. I'm one of your many hosts. I am the author of the Jesus Un series. And most recently, the best-selling book, Second Cup with Keith. If you love the podcast, Second Cup with Keith, you will really love the book. It's available now on Amazon. Check it out. And I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts, um, December, Shonda, Katie, sometimes Matt. Say hello, everybody. Hey everyone. It's Katie Valentine. I'm the host of the Metaphysical Christian uh, Facebook community where we talk about a lot of woo-woo things. Keith, is there going to be a third cup? A third cup? Mm, yeah, well, there might be a second cup with Keith volume two. Yes, but it will always still be the second cup. But that is actually a third cup. Uh, well, I mean, oh, truth in advertising. <laughs> yeah, it's a refill. Yeah. Are you <laughs> a refill? Are you trying to operate under secrecy and a shadow yeah. organization uh -huh. with titles? Okay, trying, just a little preview for everyone. <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm Katie. Happy to be here today, as always. Hey everybody, it's December Rose, um, your blackest friend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you're watching some episodes way back, you might understand where that comes from. But anyways, I'm the author of The Church Can Go to Hell, and I'm happy to be a host on this show, The Heretic Happy Hour. <laughs> My name is Shonda. You can find me on Substack, where I have a newsletter on joy in justice. And I am very excited to talk about what's wrong with the religious right. And I am sometimes Matt, but always stoned, just for Katie. <laughs> No, I'm not always stoned, but I do have some stone thoughts today. Before we get Yay. into that, I just want to remind everyone that in 2024, this podcast will have its very own book. So be on the lookout for that in 2024. Awesome. And now without further ado, let's get into some stone thoughts. What if the manna from heaven is really mushrooms? And all the Israelites are out this out there just on a fucking like spiritual desert 
vision quest for fucking 40 years and the rain from heaven it it really it makes sense actually because it's raining they wake up in the morning all the dew and the and the rain and the moisture causes the mushrooms to grow and they eat the mushrooms and they trip out and they have visions of god and all that shit i don't know how many mushrooms grow in the desert and how often it rains out there but I think it makes sense to me right now. <laughs> that was some stone thoughts if I ever heard any stone good. I like your theory. Summer's legit worried for your soul. <laughs> Katie, again, how's my scholarship? It's, it's right. I feel the paper just brewing in me right now. No, no pun intended there at all. Well, make sure to cite me. I, I, I will never I'll, I just imagine taking a walk this is the time of year when it's rainy I'm going to see all these mushrooms and I'm it's going to click and you'll be like wow I, mean, I think I was onto something you know yes. but there there is some, I mean you could make you could make some kind of case for it in some ways right it is kind of like white and flaky and um, you can you can cook all kinds of things with it right so yeah maybe maybe their word for mana is just mushroom or the word for a mushroom is mana. I don't know. I think mana means like, what is it? Mm-hmm. That's right. They just had never seen mushrooms but before. You you might be seeing a burning bush. I, I don't know. Yeah. And all <laughs> kinds of crazy things. Pillars of fire just, in the I'm, sky. I was like, I'm imagining a scene with Moses holding up the snake. Oh, and, yeah. you know, yeah, like there's sort I, of an orgy I feel to it. Yeah. yeah. Water's coming out of rocks. It's really weird. Yeah. And the rock's <laughs> following them around. You know, like what's going on there? <laughs> and then the men at some point turn to worms when they didn't do the right thing with it or something. So yeah, they, it's it's on the Sabbath, it's foreboding. There's no, right. you can't get on the Sabbath, only on the other six days. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I think uh, this could be something. This could be, this could be really, You, I think you did it. You cracked the code, man. <laughs> It sounded stupid oh, at first, and then you talked your way into it. And you're like, yeah. it and you're like, <laughs> this guy's onto something now. The only, the only thing is, like you said, though, do mushrooms yeah. grow in the desert? In the desert. I just don't think I've ever seen one. But uh, maybe they came across a little patch. Maybe that's why they never left. They just they, they stayed there forty years because like they just walked around in circles around this little patch of grass <laughs> with the mushrooms on it. Oh lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole lot of people make of like Israelites in the desert. It is like the circuitous crazy. So I think that that feels like on point to me. Like they found the one little oasis where there's water and mushrooms yep. growing, and they're like, That's "Fuck right. it, I'm not leaving." Just stay right here, baby. <laughs> have you seen the um? Have you seen the little GPS map of Moses and how long it would take him to walk? It's like, like six, six days or days something. Or so, yeah. <laughs> but it's like they were there. Took him forty years. Like, come on, what's going on? Because they were tripping. Work some they were tripping. Time doesn't exist when you're tripping. That's <laughs> <laughs> a better deal than you know dying of thirst in the in the desert. So yeah. it seems reasonable. It seems reasonable and logical to me. Um, so thank you. I you know I just mentioned I'm going to my academic conference in like three days. So now I have this presentation. Float the idea. Yes, you I can got take it. My colleagues and, <laughs> and new theories. So. Yes. New awesome. theory. Well, um, I don't know about all of you. I'm. So Super happy Stone Thoughts is back. I know in our Two Fab for Florida series, we weren't uh, doing Stone Thoughts because we had so much to cram in, but my um, my dopamine level is high. So I, I'm really, really thrilled about this. Hey, we have a fantastic heretic of the week for you. Um, this is, um, if you if you like monkeys and science, you are going to be just thrilled with our heretic. And so 
without further ado, I'll introduce her. It's the Heretic of the Week. I'm Janet Kellogg-Ray, and I'm certain there are those who would call me a heretic. Hi, Janet. I, I would love to meet the people, or maybe not, who would you were certain would call you a heretic. But since they're not here, just give us the shorthand. Why would people call you a heretic? Well, I'm actually sure the list is long and maybe really long, depending on who you asked. Uh, but the short list would be, um, I accept the science evidence for evolution and common ancestry and the age of the earth. I don't read the first 11 chapters of Genesis literally and historically, uh, factually. Uh, in fact, I read the entire Bible with ancient eyes. Um, I accept that COVID is real, and I don't think that the vaccines are going to turn you into a zombie. Um, I also want <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I understand that humans are major contributors to climate change, and there's your short list. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's quite that a list. Was, um, it seems, I have a little advanced knowledge, but it seems like you're a um, science person. Is, <laughs> would, would that be accurate? <laughs> that would be accurate. I, I teach uh, biology at a large uh, public university. In, in Denton, Texas, University of North Texas. Wow, in Texas, no less. So, wow. Yeah, I was in about to say, do you ever get pushback from students around mm -hmm. that intersection? Absolutely. I'm rushing the questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely, I do. And actually, that uh, was um, a big motivation for the first book I wrote. But uh, I used to ask, at the end of every big lecture class, I teach intro to biology classes. Interesting, though. I never got pushed back personally from my majors classes. They would come up and talk to me. It's my non-majors that are afraid of their grade uh, in, in biology that uh, write me. And so I used to ask a question at the very last semester, very last uh, class of the semester. Uh, I would get, because I hit evolution hard at the end of the, of the semester. We talk about it all through the semester, but I always hit it really hard. So my last out the door question is they have to write a short response to um, something about evolution. Evolution is a tinkerer. Tell me why. And I've had three, maybe four students push back hard uh, with mm. scripture references. Mm. I mean, I was, honestly, I felt humiliated. I remember mm. thinking, they think I'm that scary atheist professor mm -hmm. that their, their parents and their pastors all warned them about when they sent them off to a state school. And that is not me at all. Uh, even though I am very deliberate in my classes to say, um, there are people on both ends of the spectrum who will say you can't be a person of faith and a person of science. I am an, ex an example of why that is not true. My faith is very important to me, and I 100% accept the evidence for evolution. So this past uh, spring semester, I tried something new. I tried changing the question to ask me anything about Ooh. evolution. Ooh. And if you want to know the answer, 
because this is the last day of class. If you want to know the answer, circle it and I'll email you back. Well, mm. I got about five or six really good mm. uh, questions, you know, and I, and I think what it, it, I did before, it kind of put them on the defensive. And by asking them to, to ask me a question, anything mm. they wanted, uh, I think they were more open. And even if they didn't circle it, I answered it anyway, whether they wanted to, <laughs> wanted to or not. So, yeah. I have. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I'm a big fan of Heretic Happy Hour. <laughs> I, When your Thecla episode came out, I had been in the Thecla cave outside of Ephesus just a week before. Oh. So I was so excited to hear it. Great wow. podcast. Big fan. It's on my short list. I, well, I love that Thecla is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, she, she, she and I have been <laughs> such good friends for like the past 20 years. And um, I I, I got a little preview of Janet's visit to Thecla's cave and the picture with well, the picture there, we have a Paul, you know, is the oldest picture, uh, oldest depiction mm -hmm. of Paul. And mm -hmm. I knew, like, I recognized that, but I didn't know it was in Thecla's cave or I had forgotten. Yep. Yep. So super cool. Thank you for bringing mm -hmm. that to my so wait, They took a photograph of Paul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so those icons. <laughs> is it autographed? <laughs> I think it yes. was a selfie. And, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it says what the thorn in his side is. So there's no more mystery. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I love it. This makes me feel like my trip to Ephesus was a complete waste because I didn't visit uh, Thecla's cave. Um, might have to go back. <laughs> Although, as Katie's and my friend Luann pointed out, the important thing about visiting Ephesus is getting to be in the place where Paul peed. I think that was for her the most important part of that trip. Uh, okay, mm. her her sense of humor is <laughs> equal to my husband's because he made that exact <gasps> comment. Stop yeah. it! He may have said this is where Paul had a poo. You know, it might have been that. <laughs> Those back That's houses are no joke, and the seats are very close together. Yes, yes. very, very awkward. Alarmingly close together. Yeah, I love it. So Yikes. Janet, I am so grateful for what you're doing because I think there are a lot of folks out there who who really do feel very passionately about the intersection of science and religion that um, that you lift up, but don't necessarily know how to talk about it. And that's really one of the gifts you give mm -hmm. to us. Tell tell us a little bit about how you got to the place of doing that work. How did you get to uh, get to this point from where you started out? Well, I was raised in uh, the conservative fundamentalist wing of the the American Restoration Movement, the mainline churches of Christ. And oh. our church was absolutely central to our family. Uh, we went three times a week, rain or shine, without fail, and every night of the week during the gospel meeting. Um, and probably the most... Um, scarring aspect of that upbringing was the fact that I never saw the Wizard of Oz until I was oh. an adult because in the before times, before we had on-demand uh, screenings and on-demand programming, it, the Wizard of Oz only broadcast on Sunday night. So mm -hmm. never saw it. Oh, never saw it. It wasn't a content that. issue. It was a schedule issue. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. You know, if you were lucky enough to be sick, on Sunday, you could stay home and watch the uh, wonderful world of Disney. I was going to say, that exactly. Nice. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yes, yeah. the wonderful world of Disney, but it was yeah. Sunday nights. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. I so, thought maybe it was the friend of Dorothy conflict, but okay. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. I, can, I can get no, down with that. And, okay. And that would be a whole other conversation. Uh, <laughs> growing up in the churches of Christ, there are some things that we uh, thankfully missed out of wider evangelicalism. There are some positive there, but there are some definite drawbacks to, you know, those of us who grew up say it's kind of like the Hotel California. You can check out anytime, but you can never leave. Uh-huh. It's always around. But, you know, I thinking back, because I've been asked this question a lot, and thinking yeah. back on it, I honestly cannot remember a time when evolution was denigrated from the pulpit, because mm-hmm. quite honestly, a young earth creation was the default position. And we would have no more questioned that than we would have questioned the existence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in middle school, believe it or not, in seventh grade, the state of Texas did not require science. It was an elective. Whoa. And, yeah. <laughs> and oh, so, I hear they're trying to yes. bring that back. Yeah, I'm sure they <laughs> oh, are. Yeah. Let's make Texas great again. In spirit only, yes. Oh, wow. That's another episode we can talk about. Um, But my dad happened to be a teacher at my junior high, my middle school. And I wanted to take choir because it sounded fun. The Mm -hmm. choir was across from his room, and he didn't like the lack of self-discipline in that room. So he insisted that, well, no, he made me take, he made me take science. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. And I, to this day, credit my dad for changing the trajectory of my life. It was a new school, very, very progressive for the 1970s in -hmm. Texas. And it was an amazing science class. We did dissections in seventh grade. We went all through the, what we call Mm -hmm. the animal kingdom at the time. And I remember definitively having these thoughts of, uh, these are animals because I always thought animals were puppies and kittens and things like that. And, and these sea stars and these earthworms and these insects, as well as these mammals are also animals. And it sure looks like they are linked some way. It sure looks like they have systems that are modified and reworkings of systems in less complex animals. But like you just said before, Sonia, I had no vocabulary mm-hmm. to express that question. Mm-hmm. It was just puzzling to me. You know, life looked really related, but I didn't know how to express that. I felt the same thing in high school. I went on to a Christian university, uh, which I loved. I still love. I was a biology major. Uh, our professor uh, would uh, the first semester pointed us to the section of the textbook and said, this is evolution. You need to know it. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. End Good. of discussion. So um, my husband and I were both uh, biology majors at the same university. Uh, and probably, um, you know, the, it well, not probably, it was the same event that changed, uh, which is the next big trajectory change in our life. Um, at this point, we had just kind of been floating along. I know for myself, I was 
doing these mental gymnastics of like, can I just close one eye and squint and try to make the fossil record match the days of creation? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and my husband and I both, we never could get on board with the young earth. And so we, it was just kind of like, don't ask, don't tell. You know, it was just mm-hmm. kind of one of those things that we lived with. And a few years after we graduated from Abilene Christian, where we both um, got our Oh my our, gosh, our I was going to guess it was Abilene, because they yes. do a good job of being in that strand, oh. and yet quietly being like, but it's okay to think. Yeah, love it. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Oh, no they're, I, you'll be glad to know it's much more than that now. Yeah, it's, no, they're it's, great. They're, oh, they, they're heretics. They're heretics. <laughs> good. But a few years after we graduated, we had little kids, busy lives. My husband had just finished medical school. Um, and a, and a young earth creationist apologist with no connection to ACU decided to go after two professors with guns blazing mm. for the sin of mentioning and teaching. Apparently a couple of years later, they went on and began to teach, um, about evolution uh, one of the uh, professors was just an old curmudgeonly guy, and he weathered the storm. The other professor was both of our favorite professors. I took several classes from him. I taught labs for him for two years. He was a, a, a remarkable man, but he was a man of deep religious faith. I had the opportunity two years ago, ACU actually brought me back to speak in chapel of all places. Nice. And, um, and, I, and he was on faculty at the time when all this went down in the 80s. And he said, the ironic thing is that Archie was so um, religiously conservative, he squeaked, but he was a man <laughs> of science and he was yeah. not going to back down. Well, long story short, it ruined his career. He resigned in mm. humiliation, and mm. unfortunately, he passed away not too long after that, mm. a broken man. And so my husband and I were just devastated because we heard about this a, a couple of years after the fact. And, you know, the rest is just history. Both of us went on our own deep dive of reading and educating ourselves, and um, it just became uh, untenable. The mental gymnastics that I was having to do in order to force fit uh, science into the Bible or find the Bible in science just got to be too much. You know, along the way, I got a PhD in curriculum and instruction. I uh, started teaching uh, 18 years ago at University of North Texas. I've taught majors, non-majors, um, and throughout the, the time, after our, you know, ch- change of direction, um, I started a blog, I wrote, and I would teach a little bit um, at our church, just a little bit. And honestly, it was a pretty soft sell, you know, more like, here are three ways you can look at origins, you know, here's this way, here's this way, here's this evolution way, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, one time I was voluntold to uh, teach a ladies Bible class, if you've ever been voluntold to do something. So mm-hmm. these were primarily uh, older women. And I gave my same soft sell. Mm-hmm. And one of the dear, dear women, who's actually the, the mom of a friend of mine, whispered to her daughter, uh, did Janet ever think 
that it could have been baby dinosaurs on the ark? Because <laughs> we talked about you know, worldwide flood and things like that. And so, you know, over the years, I've been gifted with a lot of children's books with dinosaurs and children uh, frolicking <laughs> in gardens. And I, I think they're usually jokes, uh, but, you know, I'm not sure how many people are trying to rein me in. Uh, but that experience eventually led to uh, my first book, which was about uh, evolution denial from a religious perspective. And so um, that was a couple of years ago. And so right in the middle of the COVID uh, experience, mm -hmm. at the time, we didn't know we were in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it yeah. was uh, this early spring of, of 2021. And this first book on evolution denial, uh, I was doing all the final edits, you know, getting ready for it to, uh, to release a few months later. And the governor of Texas uh, decided to lift the mask mandate. Now, mm. this was a time when only 7% of the state of Texas had been vaccinated at that point. I think yeah. this was around February or March when this happened. Yeah. And so I was in, you know, this chat room with a bunch of people, um, most of whom I know, and um somebody brought that up, that the mask mandate had been dropped. So everybody was chiming in, chiming in uh, with their hot sports opinions on it. You know, and I think I said, somebody had said they were going to get their vaccine. And I think I said, go ribosomes, go, you know, or something sciencey nerdy. Well, you know, when you say something, you know, publicly for others to um, opine on, uh, there's going to be those who disagree with you. And one of those uh, people made the comment, um, there she goes again, Janet and her monkey god science. Whoa. Now, I really wasn't offended because I do know this person. This person knows, has sat through classes of mine about uh, evolution acceptance, and I know that she has called my evolu my evolution acceptance a position a monkey god before. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was perplexed. I wasn't talking about evolution on this mm -hmm. chat forum. Mm -hmm. I was talking about you know vaccines and public health and things like this. So, but it's still what? science. It's yeah, science. What, yeah. But what did evolution have to do with my positions on COVID? And mm -hmm. so there was my next book. Yep. And that yeah. was the title of my next book. I started researching and writing at that point before the first one even released. It was written, fortunately, uh, but uh, it became the motivation for my second book. You know, I wanted to know. What is it about denial of evolution, all things COVID, and coming into the picture, anything about climate science? They seem right. to be some sort of a package deal of science denial, particularly in evangelical precincts. And yep. so... That brings you up, I think, to now. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And and just to clarify, you uh, you entitled that second book Janet and Her Monkey God, right? I, I, <laughs> wa I wanted to so badly. 
so badly, but when you go the traditional route and you have a big time publisher, they get some say over it. So the title of the book is The God of Monkey Science. People of faith in a modern scientific world. So, but I do tell the story in the book the way it happened. The rest of the story. Yeah. I love it. You know, I would thank you so much for this, Janet. And I want to hear more about the book in just a moment. I, I was just thinking of a movie that I saw a few years ago about Charles Darwin. I'm wondering if any of you have seen it. It's just called Creation. Um, and it's a really well-done movie. Paul Bettany plays Darwin and Jennifer Connelly plays his wife. And there's a lot that goes on with like a child of theirs. But it shows her struggle, his wife's struggle with his discoveries. And yeah. I found it and and kind of how they navigated that in their relationship. Um, and I found it very touching. And it made Charles Darwin not just a meme, but an actual person for me. Because, right. you know, right. I didn't know any more than I learned in high school biology class, you know, about it as well. Um, so just a little kind of recommendation there, right. That this is like, people are actually struggling in their own lives with their own discoveries and how to put all of this, just how to put all of it together. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to say, Janet, I, um, I have a confession to make. So I, uh, I also was raised in Texas. I grew up in Texas in El Paso. Um, but I was in the Southern Baptist, you know, side of the the wing of Christianity, evangelical Christianity. And I was raised to believe young earth creationism. Um, I also went to UT El Paso. So that's not a Christian university. So I took my big thing. It wasn't science so much. It was philosophy. Um, my minor in philosophy. So I had these philosophy, these philosophy professors that I, every, every class I was debating them. And I, I know they hated my guts because I was constantly trying to challenge, you know, I was into all this apologetics nonsense, but, um, but I literally went as far with the young earth creation stuff. I don't even know if people know this, but I taught like a, um, I preached at my church, like a six part, six, like six week series on Sunday nights on young earth creationism. Every evening was another thing. And then, um, then when I moved to California, I did uh, like a two week seminar thing, um, on young earth creationism. And so I, I, I've read those books. I have those children's books with the dinosaurs in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the bone peddlers. I have all these books. So I, I really was deep into that stuff. I'll just admit it. Um, so I'm curious what kinds of questions you get. I'm sure you get students that are like me, that like I used to be, that are coming into your class that are like, well, but I'm going to I'm gonna give her a zinger. I got a question she can't answer, right? I'm just curious, when, when Christians challenge you on evolution, um, like what are some of the top things they bring up? Well, you know, honestly, I don't get much pushback to my face. Okay. Uh, even my students will, like I said, the only pushback I've gotten was in writing. Now, uh, my majors, like I said, I didn't get much from them, but I had, interestingly, many conversations with them because I noticed one student had a copy of Francis Collins language of God with him. And I said, I love that book. And it, I was able to talk to him after class. Um, I had another class one time where I have a photograph that I throw up for fun of at the time I met Francis Collins and a student came up to me and just said, Oh, he came to my church one time and spoke. So we were able to talk. So the only ones that have, you know, c- 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 
spoke to me directly have all been positive. If they've got pushback questions, they do it in writing. And yeah. uh, the few that did have let me have it uh, with scriptures. <laughs> you know, I, I believe, I believe God over yes. you, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Now, as far as pushback, not from my students, um, you know, I am doing really good at, de- at developing some thick skin. You know, I always mm-hmm. joke and say my husband's a dermatologist and there's no such thing as a magic cream that will make <laughs> you grow th- thick skin. Uh, but uh, th- the latest and greatest was a Twitter guy um, just a-, a month or so ago who screenshotted my publisher's catalog. Uh, now, bear in mind, uh, God of Monkey Science isn't released until October, right. but he, in with great aplomb, uh, judged my books, both of them, to be junk. Uh-huh. Just junk, you know. So is that equivalent to being a heretic? I, you know, I think so. <laughs> and uh, he's a writer for one of the big Young Earth Creationist organizations, so mm-hmm. no surprise there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that. Uh, and so I pushed back and I said, you know, I'm sorry to see that you dismissed them. I, I hope you read them. To which he said, you can put lipstick on a pig and jewelry and wow. perfume and an entire Sephora if you want to. But it's your books will still be junk. I don't mm-hmm. have to read them to know they're junk. Mm-hmm. Um, when the first book came out, uh, there was a guy. He was actually an old Church of Christ um, preacher who said... <laughs> He made a comment on a on a review of the book. Where are the where are the theologians and scholars who can who can and sh- prove her to be wrong? Mm. Who, where are they? And to which my friend quipped, "Well, the theologians and scholars agree with her." And, right. You know, <laughs> and that's hey, why. at least so, he compared you to Sephora. You know, it's kind of high end. <laughs> like, right. There could have been a lot worse comparisons. Uh, it, it's good taste. The CVS or something. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. dollar store. That was mine. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, um, you, you mentioned that you are a person of faith. Um, so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that, what that looks like for you now. Right now. Well, I can't really tell you what box I would fit in right now. I am actually still in an evangelical church uh, with DNA to the churches of Christ, it looks nothing at all like the churches that I um, grew up in at all. Uh, But there's still that DNA there. It's still an evangelical church uh, with all that entails. Uh, I'm sure I'm an outlier. Well, I know I'm an outlier there. You know, I probably should have my seat in the parking lot. Um, But I (laughs) do You know, but I don't agree with myself of 20 years ago. So I try to hold that, you know, a little bit, you know, right here with some patience. Although I do, my eye rolls tend to be audible. And so um, (laughs) I have to kind of control myself at many times, uh, you know, during church. But honestly, honestly, it's Jesus that keeps me. You know, it's uh, uh, someone asked me that and uh, at a, a a speaking engagement about four or five years ago, and I didn't see it coming. I thought they were going to ask me about what I spoke about. And they asked me, why are you still a person of faith? And immediately, the first thing that came to my mind was 
Jesus Christ compels me. I can't Mm -hmm. look away. I can't walk away. Um, But I will tell you honestly that since I became a heretic, as many would say, my world has gotten bigger, not smaller. My faith has definitely gotten bigger and not smaller. Uh, It's gotten bigger because I have uh, friends of faith who traditionally would have been on the margins. You know, those people like me who have no problem accepting science. Mm -hmm. And my dear gay friends that I have of deep Christian faith who despite uh, what many of them have been through, they are still faithful Christians and they inspire me and they enrich my faith. And for those reasons, I'm still here. Yeah, that's great. So I, you you alluded to something a little bit earlier, um, Janet, and I just want to ask you maybe to elaborate on what you think about this. So, you know, you were saying about you were, you know, noticing how um, your comment on that thread was, you know, about getting the vaccine. Uh, somebody came back at you with this monkey God comment. Mm-hmm. And, and see, again, I'm just looking back on my background, like, when I was, I was re- kind of raised in my evangelical background to mistrust scientists and science. Be- and in the beginning was evolution, right? My whole thing was, oh, you can't believe these scientists. They're all lying to you. Carbon-14 is a, is, a, is a lie. It's a joke. It's all smoke and mirrors. They're telling you that there's this, you know, transitional form, but there are no transitional forms. So like it, I just built, you know, in my subconscious, this assumption that's don't trust scientists, don't believe the science. And I, do you think that that's what has led us to this day now where we're living in this world where Christians don't believe any scientists on anything, climate or vaccines or anything? Absolutely. You could write the intro to my book here. Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as I was researching this book, it became apparent almost immediately that if you look at the arguments against evolution, Actually, beginning with the Scopes monkey trial in uh-huh. the 1920s, and you look at what William Jennings Bryan argued, you can take those same arguments. And in the book, I narrow it down to the three big ones mm. um, that I have that I have noticed. You take those three arguments and you uh, retool them and you relaunch them against whatever it is the modern science of the day that you don't understand or that you don't like. And so fighting evolution for so long, for so many decades, since the 20s, has changed the whole way we talk about science, the way we think about science, and honestly, our perception of scientists themselves. Mm. Um, you can go into um, arguments against uh, cl- human involvement in climate science. You can go into arguments uh, against all the things COVID that people uh, re- yep. resisted and rejected. And you can find absolute f- argument fossils buried in all of the rhetoric that stem from Brian's arguments against evolution in the 20s. Wow. 
You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of people in my um, energetic metaphysical work end up getting to the same place of a lot of rejection of science. None of that's real. Like we can kind of overcome that with our vibration and our thinking. Mm-hmm. So it, there's strange bedfellows mm-hmm. with people yes. who are way woo woo yes. energy. Yes. And then people who are like very staunch fundamentalist Christians. So it's like this kind of weird full circle where they're right next to each other, not agreeing on much except for this like. Yeah. Science rejection well, thing. Yeah. 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 There's definitely an overlap between uh, people who accept pseudoscience uh, regardless of where they're coming from with the pseudoscience. Uh, Mm. Pseudoscience gives us certainty. Uh, Pseudoscience always speaks in uh, specifics. Drink this supplement and you will be cleansed of all of your toxins. You know, mm-hmm. t- take this vitamin and you will see your diabetes uh, go away. But science never speaks in terms of certainty. Science mm-hmm. only talks about the best evidence at the time. And mm-hmm. that is disconcerting to many people uh, coming from these really disparate points of view. Um, But definitely, you know, there definitely are those who would be science deniers, not from a religious perspective. But another thing that I found in researching the book, um, which was I I, I think I knew it intuitively, but it was interesting to actually see some data behind it, is there are many people, especially now uh, in the year of our Lord 2023, that would not consider themselves religious. They would not um, be a member of any kind of religious body, yet they will identify as evangelical. Now, figure Mm. that one out, Hmm. you know, or if they check off boxes of how they um, think, approach things, uh, they'll check off boxes that traditionally would be descriptors of evangelicals. Hmm. And so, you know, again, some of these religious objections to science, I term, I term it politically religious. Yeah. You know, it's for yeah. political or philosophical reasons yes. why they are rejecting science. Yeah. On another occasion. Oh yeah. On another occasion, we need to talk about the white lady yoga practitioner, Airbnb host that I had during the (laughs) pandemic who didn't need to mask because she understood breathing. Uh, breathing. So that's a whole other episode. We'll talk about that another time. You know, Jenna, one of the, I'm really <laughs> does she, does she understand breathing on our int- on a uh, in- being intubated. That's yeah, that's. I, right. I literally said, "I'm Indian. You don't get to explain yoga to me." Uh, <laughs> while I was asking for my money back, that's a whole other story. Uh, so, Janet, I love. I'm, I'm grateful you brought up the Scopes Monkey Trial. It's really an important uh, case and has a lot to do with well. I'm not going to go too far down that road. What I do want to say is that's always been a heartbreaking case to me because Clarence Darrow and William Jennings Bryant are both heroes of mine. Bryant Mm. cared a lot about poor people and he cared a lot about Jesus. Clarence Darrow cared a lot about poor people and he cared about liberation. And Mm. I love, I just wanted to acknowledge how much I love that you 
are kind of bringing together two of those heroes of mine in some of the most beautiful ways. Really, really inspiring because I've always thought in some better world, there was a way to hold both of their truths with each other. Um, But before Keith asks you uh, his final question, our final question, do you already know the joke about, you know, there's a lot, a long line of people waiting to get into heaven. And at the very front of the crowd, you hear people going, yay, 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 boo. Yay, 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 boo. And a person at the back of the line uh, sees St. Peter walking by and he says, how come there's all these people shouting? What's what's the peop- what's going on with the people who are booing? And St. Peter says, oh yeah, that's the Church of Christ folks. They found out Wednesday nights don't count. I, yes, I was going to say Wednesdays don't count. I knew, yes, I've heard it. Yeah, Wednesdays don't count. Yeah. Oh yeah, heard it. <laughs> they totally count. All that time you have spent being with your people counts. I just wanted yeah. to acknowledge it. There you go. Yeah. That's uh, do you want me to, I just thought to throw a little bit in there since you brought up these two guys, uh, they were popular folk heroes. Yeah. You know, if they lived today, they would have cable news mm. talk shows. Mm-hmm, Both mm-hmm. of them would. Uh, yeah. They called uh, Brian the great commoner. And mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't know is that Brian was not a young earth person. Yeah. He was an old earth person. Hmm. Uh, uh, One of his major uh, arguments against evolution was that he felt it led to eugenics. And Mm -hmm. so he, he, he argued against evolution, but that's where he was coming from. Fascinating Mm -hmm. to me was Mm -hmm. that our version that we have right now of young earth creationism was actually birthed in the 1970s early 1980s and it's that version of creationism that we have exported to many areas in europe to Mm -hmm. canada and to australia you're very welcome yeah Um, exactly it is a different version of creationism that was birthed in the 70s and 80s than what we saw coming out of the scopes trial Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah, and you know what? I think I can also add, uh, probably on the extreme end of, the, of that pendulum, um, this is also the, where we get flat earthers from, right? That's the that's the extreme side of like super biblical um, and mm-hmm. and and super you know suspicious of science to to go as far as to say, well, the, the Earth is flat because the Bible says so, and I don't care what scientists say, right? It's a it's huge conspiracy. It's it's ridiculous. It's so dumb. Yeah. We have an episode. Well, yeah. 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 Well, well I, 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 lis- I listened to that one too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I listened to that one too. And, you know, and that's just one point that I try to make in uh, Monkey God, or the God of Monkey Science. Yes, the God of Monkey Science. Get it right. That was my fault. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, publishers. I'm sorry. The God of Monkey Science um, is that when we deny empirical science, we or people speaking as people of faith, we take ourselves completely out of the broader conversation. Mm-hmm. I am not going to listen to a flat earther tell me the best way to address climate science. Right. I'm just not. I'm probably not going to want them to do my taxes. But no. <laughs> when we when we deny empirical science for these religious reasons, 
you know, and, and that's that's a, a long discussion. I wrote a book about it. You know, mm-hmm. we take ourselves out of a broader conversation. We yeah. we make ourselves irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Mm, absolutely. Well, that's why, uh, Janet, this has been so great. I'm so glad you wrote both of these books. Um, yeah. And I, I love that we're having this conversation and very excited that you're doing the work that you're doing. So if listeners want to know more about you and how to keep up with you or follow you, if you're online anywhere, if you have a blog or a Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and then be sure to let us know where we can get uh, the book as well and when it comes out. Okay. I have a blog at JanetKRay.com, just the initial K, JanetKRay.com. I also have an author page on Facebook and anything I put on the blog, I put on my author page on Facebook. Uh, my book that's out uh, this October is The God of Monkey Science, uh, People of Faith in a Modern Scientific World. Uh, you can get that at any bookseller. Any bookseller can order it for you. You can find it at your favorite bookseller. Uh, the, the prior book was Baby Dinosaurs on the Ark. The Bible and Modern Science and the Trouble of Making It All Fit. And I also wrote an extended study guide for baby dinosaurs. And it came out as a separate book because it has lots of new content in it. But God of Monkey Science is the one that's out this October. Awesome. Fantastic. Sounds great. Thank you Yay. so much, Janet. You're Thanks amazing. Thanks for being here. It, Thank you, Janet. You guys are just as fun as I thought you would be. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fun. Oh, this was great. Thank you so much. Wow, that was great. Janet, thank you so much. Um, Everybody check out her book. And um, yeah, great stuff. Great work. And we need more people like her out there Mm -hmm. uh, championing science. You know, science. It it works, guys. It's real. Yes, I walked away knowing things. I I, I now know things I didn't know before. Thanks, Janet. Yep. Not not only that, science and faith work together, not against each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they work exactly. together like you and us and watching us on patreon.com at uh at, at patreon.com slash heretic happy hour so listen if you are listening and then following us why don't you just go ahead on over there to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and go ahead and subscribe that's what you need to do all the goodies are over there all the extras all the stuff we don't get time to talk about uh, during our regular broadcast, you know, the, you know, just level up, just help us out. Go on to patreon.com <laughs> slash heretic happy hour and make it do what it do for us. We'd appreciate that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yes. And we do appreciate all of you that support us on Patreon. Thank you very, very much. Okay. I think we're ready, right? To jump into this, this topic now. Um, so uh, this is, uh, it's, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It, it's really well done. Uh, I think it's based on two different books. It's called the family. And uh, we're going to get into it in just a bit. But uh, if you haven't seen it, or even if you have, I guess, to kind of get us into this topic, um, it's uh, there's a guy who wrote a book about this. Uh, his name is Charlotte. I think his name is spelled S-H-A-R-L-E-T. And um, he talks about basically accidentally kind of joining what he found out later felt very much like a cult. Um, went with a friend of his to this thing and his friend was joining this thing and he went to it and all these guys stay in a house together and there's like this leader and he's really charismatic. And, um, anyway, the more he got into it and started asking questions and digging into the origins of this thing, he found out like, wow, this, this, uh, group called the family and there's a men's house and a women's house. So, you know, there are men and women, but they're segregated. 
um, it seemed to him that the the conspiracy, if there really is one, um, was to uh, infiltrate high levels of uh, government and to uh, influence these government officials um, to really kind of um, accomplish some kind of conservative Christian uh, evangelical agenda. And uh, it involves like the the National Prayer Breakfast, which we can talk about that in a bit and how that plays into it. Um, and, and then there's all kinds of other weird kind of stuff going on around it too, uh, all the way up into some very recent times in, in the news. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what you guys thought about it. I, I as I was watching it, uh, I feel, I felt like at least the first couple of episodes, it did a pretty good job making me feel like, oh shit, this is scary. Like, <laughs> uh, this is a big, powerful secret organization, uh, working behind the scenes, influencing, uh, people in in congress and and even from there influencing leaders of other nations we could talk about that too because that's pretty that's pretty horrible actually that's probably to me the most horrible thing that happens uh some of the influence that they have on um some african nations uh and some european nations and uh regarding the way lgbtq people are treated and things like that so um yeah it's it's really it's well done i think it's worth watching um but uh I think if you're really interested, you probably should want, want to read the books. There's two different books um, on the topic because I think the documentary really just kind of scratches the surface. So, yeah, what do you guys think? Any thoughts on the this crazy thing called the family? First of all, whenever I started watching, I kept on thinking of that country song, "Merry Christmas from the Family," and it was playing uh, as a background loop in my head when I was watching, which made it a lot funnier. Oh. <laughs> And a lot easier to watch. It's just a funny little uh, Christmas song. So it's by, uh, I should give credit where credit is due. It's by Robert Earl Kane. At any rate, you know, I, it was an it was an interesting series. It it's, uh, it did, it keeps, I can't remember. Did you mention that this is also tied to the National Prayer Breakfast? Right. Yes, mm-hmm. I did mention that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, and so that part was really interesting to me because honestly, whenever I see the National Prayer Breakfast, I'm just like, eh change the channel i've never given it a second thought other than it's some weird holdover from the 50s which in fact it kind of is Um, but it's a lot more it's a lot more complicated than i thought like it's a week-long event with lots of different speakers it has expanded yeah it is way more than just that just that little thing yeah there's meetings going on around the scenes with different leaders and politicians and yeah so it spoke to me i mean i guess my my takeaway is that this is a kind of, there's an evangelical mindset that's being coercively kind of spread throughout all in all these different sort of secretive ways that seemed shady. I, I was not convinced that it's the sort of grand conspiracy that the author thinks it is. And there were different people that they interviewed, some who were like, um, some people who were really disenchanted with the organization and had removed themselves from it, but still kind of upheld the values like conservative evangelical values. And then some people who were disenchanted left and like didn't uphold those values at all anymore. So I, I'm kind of like split down the middle. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm totally persuaded by the thesis of the documentary, but I definitely know a lot more that I didn't know before. So I feel like it's a mistake for us not to start this conversation with episode one being saturated with the cheesiest fucking uh, reenactments I have ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) The entire episode was just, yeah, 
just reenactments. It was really, and it wasn't even bad acting. And I don't know what else they could have done to convey like, Hey, the guy who, you know, yeah. The guy who wrote the books, who's the executive producer is like, here's what it was like to be there. Um, And so I don't know what they could have done other than the reenactments, but it really didn't feel like a legit documentary at first. Um, So I want to name that up front so that like, it might incentivize you to watch it because we all love a cheesy reenactment. But um, I did want to, I did want to acknowledge, I felt like it got a little more serious in the second episode. Yeah. Um, That said, so one thing I do want to name, because yeah, Katie, I kind of go back and forth a little bit. The first time I watched it, I was like, holy shit, this is really scary. This is really dangerous. Um, But as I watched it this time, I found myself thinking, is it that it's the dangerous thing or is it that it's easy to manipulate? Um, And both things might be true. But the thing that did stick out to me, and I think it's because we already watched the Duggar documentary. Yeah. which is about something that is very clearly nefarious. They are organizing a paramilitary organization, right? right. Um, so what was interesting to me was this one is has the same values, right? Like in that first episode, you learn that the men are being trained for leadership and they're also being given the message that if you have power, that means you are of God. Yes. Yeah. Um, while the women are being taught support your men um and there's that woman who's who's like i i think it's fine because like the men are so busy loving on us who's gonna love on them and i'm like not not all men like you know (laughs) so um so i think that there's there's this kind of parallel philosophy that's undergirding it that no one's talking about uh, which is very patriarchal and very anti-democratic um so i think that that matters uh but to what extent they're actively seeking to implement those values and to what extent they just happen because it's already baked into our society i think we could debate i'd be interested to know with with, piggybacking on what you said shonda i'd be interested to know how much influence they have now given the climate that we're in politically especially that 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 toxic type of patriarchy and that control and uh, with them taking away, rolling back so many rights and trying to put in so many um, restrictions on this, that, and the other, I- I'd be interested to know h- how directly they might be tied to things that are going on now. And, and one of the things that interests me in general, and this is maybe just a, a general topic, maybe not even specifically toward this documentary, which is how many politicians, which is outlined in this documentary as well, but just in general, are so focused on um, wielding power from a conservative Christian perspective onto the general public that is so, to me, contradictory toward the the walk of Christ outlined in the Bible. Um, You know, where Mm -hmm. the most that you heard Jesus say was, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He did not, there was not a political movement there wasn't a political agenda if you will yeah. with Christ you won't find you won't find that in the scripture and yet so many people and even with our little uh maga mike Johnston, um <clears throat> there's so many politicians 
have that focus. Yeah, and I don't understand it because it's so to me, it's so contradictory to the Bible to Christ. I'm gonna say that's right to the Bible. The Bible itself is a political document for a lot of it, but to the life of Christ, it is so contradictory. And I that's just interesting to me how they focus on that and put millions of dollars, millions of man hours behind building the structure to will power over the public. Yeah. Uh, but they claim to be, quote, Christians, and that's not the way of Christ. Mm. Right. Yeah. I think that's the thing, too. It's mm-hmm. um, it's alarming as, you know, someone who's a Christian and everything just to see um, such a twisted way. I mean, it's nothing new in the sense, right? It's still bottom line. It's still basically Christians who want a theocracy. Uh, and this is just one of the ways they, that they, they think that they're going to make it happen. Um, but it's, you know, Christians who believe that the way, the best way to spread the gospel is to start with, you know, step one, gain political power, um, and then start passing laws that force people who aren't Christians to be, to pretend like they are, act like they are, or you're going to put them in jail or give them a fine or something like that. It's, it's like, um, it's such an upside down backwards way from the way Jesus, you know, uh, presented his kingdom. Um, you know, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't turn the 12 disciples into, uh, politicians, uh, and, and none of them, you know, they had, they came from various backgrounds, you know, fishermen, tax collectors, et cetera, but they, but none of them were politicians and it wasn't like, okay, we got to go in there and, uh, get a majority on the, uh, you know, on the, on the Senate or something in Rome. Um, so it's like that kind of way of like wanting to bring quote unquote, you know, bring the gospel. But even then it's, it's very, it's very power structured, um, power focused, um, and even to the point, like to your point, you know, like um, they, there's a big thing in there, right, where they talk about, um, again, it's supposed to be a Christian organization, but if if someone has political power and influence and they're a Christian and they're in the family, um, if they commit adultery, uh, mm-hmm. if they're if they've broken some laws, if they've done something wrong, well, you know what, then they, they default to this idea of like, yeah, but you know what, look at King David, right? Mm-hmm. Um, God uses flawed people. Um, the important thing is not whether or not you are an ethical person. That that's not what's important. Um, in fact, that's not on the priority list. Right. The important the important thing is: Do you have power and influence? Okay, you're God's man. And um, then the other stuff we don't really care about. Um, and uh, so that's that's really kind of twisted when you see that kind of view of things and, and the way they approach things. So, you know, I think that's probably why a lot of uh, it's not the only reason why, but it's probably some reasoning behind uh, excusing some of the things we see Donald Trump doing because, well, hey, he's got power and he's on our side. So we're just going to excuse all that other stuff that he says. The overturned Roe v. Wade. Uh, hey, exactly. God's man. That was God's plan. And so God used flawed men to accomplish his, his you know, his, uh, his plans. Um, the thing that also, though, like I said, uh, I alluded to this. Um, the, the parts that start to get really concerning to me, it was very sad to me to see when they interviewed some of these, um, some of these, uh, American politicians who are part of the family, uh, and talking about how they would go over to these other countries and how they, how they have influence over leaders and especially in Uganda, um, and, you know, giving their warped, twisted version of Christian clobber passages, about how being a homosexual, you know, God says you should stone them to death and this is an abomination and blah, blah, blah. And how that turns into legislation in Uganda aimed at putting people to death if they're gay. And knowing that 
this family and these group of people that are part of the family are absolutely behind the, the, the scenes pulling the strings to try to push for that and make that happen. Like if that had passed, they'd be like, yes, that was a win for us. And again, this was another way they would interpret that God is using them and people in power, you know, to do good, quote unquote, good in the world. Uh, in the meantime, people are being put to death for being who they are. Um, and that's just one example in the documentary. I think that's that's a we should assume there's way more going on <laughs> than just that, uh, because that is their agenda. That's what they want to accomplish. Uh, those are the kinds of things they're pushing for. It, so it's not even just about what's happening in the United States. Uh, it's knowing that they have a reach that extends beyond the United States. And and, and the thing about the uh, National Prayer Breakfast is that's kind of where those deals get made. That's kind of where those handshakes happen. Um, I think, do they also mention in the documentary um, about the prayer breakfast that um, that's also where that Russian uh, mm -hmm. spy yeah. infiltrated yep. the NRA? Yeah. Yep. Right. And so that's, the, in other words, so other nations are looking at this national prayer breakfast and saying, Hey, you know, they want to meet with people from other countries. They want to do deals. That's where we should send our spies so we can get our hooks into people and we can, we can advance our agendas. And, and that's also what's been happening. So it's a big, it's a big kind of uh, mess, but it's kind of scary. So one of the things that I found interesting just as a concept is this idea by Doug Coe, um, who's like the the most powerful person you've never met in, in Washington. He died in 2017. Um, so the kind of the founder of all of this is that he said, or according to the documentary, repeatedly that um, the Christian message works best in secrecy. Yes. And mm -hmm. under covert operations. So that's why they um, have this like house where young men are are kind of groomed to, for leadership positions and they have Bible studies and just a bunch of bullshit stuff that I would never attend. Uh, I'm not a young man being groomed for leadership though. Yeah, so. I was going to say you wouldn't get in. Not their target audience. <laughs> and you yeah. wouldn't want not to be in the women's house because it would all be about no. being a nice housewife. Very yeah. handmade. Yeah. I would love to be in the women's house because I would host my own Bible study with them. And right. Well, infiltrate. <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt the need to provide like historically accurate Bible studies for all of these groups. <laughs> The whole time I was watching, but um, this, this idea of secrecy and operating under secrecy, I found amusing, horrifying all at the same time, because it just provided a cover for them to do a bunch of shady shit, especially financially. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be like cover organizations like golf tournaments and things like that, that really right. just funnel money into, um, into spreading these kind of values. And um, so if all of that's true and it, you know, it was fairly persuasive. Um, that that that's fairly horrifying. But this idea of secrecy, I was like, one more thing. These like rich guys are like mm -hmm. taking from you know um, taking from other people. Um, working in secrecy, working under kind of covert operations is and subversively is tried and true when you are being oppressed. Yeah, uh -huh. yep. that is, a, that is a, an authentic way to work um, and to get your message out there when you have to. These guys don't have to, so they're using a um, a technique and a tactic. Uh, for oppressed people and applying it uh, apparently very successfully. Uh, so I found that really interesting and such a twisted way to understand Jesus' instruction about not demonstrating your prayer mm -hmm. publicly, about praying to God in private, about doing good works without, you know, without a claim. So they're using that, um, that sort of those words of Jesus and, and really, really twisting them for their own agenda. And I, I found that that level of self-deception by some members of this who seem to be like decent people 
mm-hmm. just trying yeah. to do the right thing. They're 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 quite connected Christian people. Yeah, I, I wouldn't agree with them theologically, but that would be okay. Um, and they're kind of like buying into this. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was I also thought was interesting when there was the one member. I can't like this cast of characters is huge. Politician somewhere in the northeast, Pacific North Pacific Northwest. I mean, yeah. Um, who had departed, and he was like, no, he was like the hypocrisy was too much. Yeah. Um, around this kind of thing, he was like, my understanding of the gospel is is very antithetical um to working for secret power. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated him. Again, I I think we'd have a good cup of coffee. I wouldn't want to go to. I wouldn't want to have a long in depth kind of conversation with him about theology, but like that would be okay. It was yeah. interesting because I had a moment where I was like, oh, this is such a cautionary tale about like the the shadow side of Gnosticism. Because uh, uh-huh. the very first episode is very like, there are only certain people who get access to the full knowledge. Yeah. You know, not everybody yeah. does. Uh, right, you're, yeah. You know, God yeah, might like you, it. okay. So the thing that I found, you know, December, you were talking about how like... Um, this notion of create of imposing a political agenda on Jesus, um, I think really does show up in the documentary. One of the things I was really struck by, uh, the thing that maybe troubled me the most that goes all the way back to 1935, uh, when, uh, uh, Varghese starts, starts it all, um, is Abram, uh, sorry, Abram Varghese. Um, he talks about, how the mistake we've made is thinking that Jesus cared about the rabble. He even uses the word yes. rabble because it's 1935, right? <laughs> um, like I, I'm surprised yeah. he didn't say hobos. Um, but like he talks about how the mistake we've made is not realizing that Jesus cares about powerful people. And I'm like, wow, if Jesus yeah. had one political message, it was actually that God cares about poor people the exactly. most. Right? Exactly. The immigrant, the widow, the orphan. Yes. Yeah, the orphan, the outcast, yeah. yes. So, like, it's just this wild, we have chosen to claim Jesus while ignoring everything he said, Thank and at you. the same time, handing out copies of the Bible that only have the Gospels and the Book of Acts in them, and saying this is the only part that really matters, and then saying... And I think this is worth noting. What you, if you're going to watch the documentary, listen for this. Um, if you're not going to watch it, um, be aware that one of their driving slogans is Jesus plus nothing. Yeah, that's, that's what their agenda. What the fuck yeah. does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean what they what what they want you to think it means. Right. What you're talking about is one of the things that really just burn me up inside because while they're saying that, right. And like you said, Mm -hmm. they're passing out the red letter, you know, uh, gospels and they're saying it's only about Jesus, Jesus plus Mm -hmm. nothing. But then the very next thing they will say is something that Jesus didn't say. Like, well, what, what are you doing? But it's, it's part of that kind of mind um, control or brainwashing bullshit where you have this mantra and everybody's drilled in. Oh yes. They they all repeat it over and over again, but no one's paying attention to the fact that what they're then turning around and telling you uh, is true is not coming from those red letters. They can't quote a red letter where Jesus says, let's focus on the people in power and ignore (laughs) those rabble. Like what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> that that really just drove me bonkers, and it it makes me angry because again, I see, I see the much wider. So I mean, this is one of the reasons I deconstructed, right? Because I, I kept seeing Christians uh, in public, not in secret, flat out saying that you know, acting that exact way, and not basing anything on Jesus. Like they're not really following Jesus, 
Maybe they're following yeah. Paul or John Calvin or I don't know, but they're not following Jesus. And that that kind of stuff drives me crazy to, to see them like, because, you know, like if if, uh, if I was if I was living in that little, you know, guy's home, whatever that thing is called, the Cedars, whatever. I don't know what it's mm-hmm. called. The Cedars, uh, yeah. Um, then, you know, like coming into it, if they said, guys, it's all about Jesus. It's only here, here everybody get a copy of this. I'd be like, initially, I'd be like, yes, mm-hmm. that's right. You know, yeah. okay, yes, I'm proud to be a part of this. It's only about Jesus. But then at some point, you think you would kind of go, but wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when are you going to start opening this thing and reading from it? Because you're not really doing that. And mm-hmm. that, that, yeah, that made me mad. You really can't. And the whole, there's so much about this that is anti-Christ and yeah. anti-biblical. Yes. The whole Jesus plus nothing, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't mean anything. You, Sorry. Not only does it, thank you. I love your enthusiasm. So <laughs> not, mad about that. Not only does it not mean anything, it it is absolutely antithetical to scripture. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna give you some addition right now, and this is gonna be like a 45 second Bible study. About to bring a Peter, Bible lesson, aren't you? Yeah, I am gonna do it because you know I was a pastor for ten years, so I got <laughs> I got it in me. It's always in there waiting to pop up. In Second Peter one. Verse 5, it says, for this very reason, I'm gonna give y'all the math lesson, right? We're gonna add some we're gonna add some shit, okay? For this very <laughs> Jesus reason. Jesus plus some 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 stuff. <laughs> Jesus plus some shit, okay? Some stuff. <laughs> for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Yes. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, so we still we still adding y'all. We still adding shit. And to knowledge, self-control. The calculator. Hold on. And to get the calculator out. The scientific one that do all the special shit, okay? <laughs> And, and, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, God, and we still know it. Yes. We still know it. Verse seven, and to godliness, <laughs> mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities, we got, we got, we got four verses of shit that you need to add to your faith. Yes. Okay. Yes. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God is saying, you need more than me. You need more than than your knowledge of me. Because if all you have is your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be ineffective and unproductive. That's in the word. That's in the word. That's how you know they ain't reading this word. They ain't nowhere in it. They ain't nowhere because if they- cries out, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God. Yes, bless him. (laughs) Hello, hello. And you ain't reading this word. You cause you can't. Cause God got a whole damn, you know, nine point, ten point, this is the whole reproduction, adding quotients, subtract, divide, and then you gotta add. You gotta add some stuff to it. Cause otherwise you're gonna be unproductive and ineffective. That's the word. Okay. And about all this secrecy, what is it with all this freaking secrecy? We we, yeah. like, we call that the darkness into marvelous right. light, to walk as true to light. Everything yeah. you read in the scripture points to light. It points to exposure. Yeah. It, it, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna give y'all another scripture. Y'all ready? Listen, <laughs> in the black church, <laughs> in the black church, we used to have readers, and they still do this in many traditional black churches. And the preacher will be up in the pulpit, and somebody—it's usually a woman, one of the you know evangelists or ministers—he'll say, "Give me, you know, a scripture or that scripture." And Ephesians—we still in Ephesians five, chapter, uh, chapter uh, verse eight. It says, "For you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit." Of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do, nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but mm-hmm. rather expose them. And this is why you know 
these motherfuckers ain't about light. Mm-hmm. They ain't about Christ. They ain't about God. They ain't about scripture. They ain't about none of that shit. They're about power. And as yeah. of right now, these people, they got Jesus as a mascot and, and doggone fucking yeah. Trump as a doggone quarterback. Yes. Right and you got all these evangelicals cheering in the stands for this bullshit. And, yep. and, but Jesus is just a mascot. He's just, you know, yep. he's just a mascot. That's it. That's and, right. And this is where um this is where it ties back to the Hillsong documentary we were talking about in the last episode is um where sorry. <laughs> How does it tie back to Hillsong? Um it ties back to it because we were talking yeah, Katie, you were talking about uh how one of the th- one of the kind of red flags around Hillsong was the lack of transparency. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how transparency is is actually an essential part of the faith. In December, you're you're giving us powerful quotes. I'm gonna beg our producer to come off mute for just a second because as we were having that conversation about power, you type something into the uh, chat box. I think is worth naming um, because they're acting like you know Jesus thinks it's great to you know work with the powerful and to consolidate power and to create these hierarchies. Um, you had a little scriptural insight I was hoping you would share with them just because obviously they're listening to this podcast. I'm not going to preach. I never preached at a white church or a black church. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you got a word, though. Give us a word. Got a word. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, so you think about the Christian nationalists of this country who talk about God and Jesus and the Bible and scripture. And not for nothing, but the irony is not lost on me that the first um sermon quote unquote jesus gives in luke 4 after his testing in the wilderness what what is he what is he tested in the wilderness it's it's for political power yep mm-hmm. that's what satan offers him mm-hmm. and, and the blending of religious power that, mm-hmm. yeah yes. um, and we talk about christian nationalism the blending of religious power and political yeah. power and then jesus's first quote unquote sermon is he goes to isaiah and to talk about the day of jubilee Yep. And, and who is he talking about? Who is liberated yeah. in that passage? It's not the yeah. powerful. Right. That's right. So you have this juxtaposition of Well, they're liberated from all of their uh greed. Well, well, sure, but <laughs> but dead, he, yeah. that would be nice. Um <laughs> but but specifically he's talking about the orphans and the widows and 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 the disenfranchised people that are going to find healing and reconciliation and um I don't know how they missed this. I don't know. It's it's right in front of you. What is what is what is the devil? I don't even believe in a literal devil. What is the but they do right? What is the devil offering Jesus? Right, right. he's offering political power, and they're like, oh, okay. But Jesus, Jesus rejected it, but we're going to take it. Yeah, right. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a great exactly? Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for the invite. Sometimes I'm going to go back in my cubby now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say secret covert organization. I yeah. think I think we Heretic Happy Hour. We, what we should do is secretly um, raise money to send December Rose to speak at the na- the next National Prayer Breakfast. Dude, yes, because they have me escorted out of there by Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. I would love for that to happen. You know, maybe oh we could figure, we could find a way to make that happen. That'd be really great. I love it. They claim to be apolitical, so why not? That's yeah, you know. <laughs> Well, it, it was interesting when the filming crew got, or the documentary maker got into the, they they let them come into the National Prayer Breakfast, but wouldn't let them film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, well, like more, 
secrecy. More secrecy. More secrecy. Yeah. More What's secrecy. what are you hiding? And it's like yeah. yeah, like I understand when there's vulnerable things being shared. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to have a camera around that. Um, but it didn't, I, I didn't get the sense that that's the vibe of the National Prayer Breakfast. It's not a confessional. No. Um, it's a it's a rally. Um, it's kind of a rally. But can we talk about that? The group of guys. I think it's in Seattle. Yeah. Yes. In the, the last right, episode. Yes. The last episode. So there's so there there's cells. I mean, that, see, I don't I don't even like the word because I don't think that they're conceiving of themselves that way. They're not conceiving the, of themselves as a like terrorist secret organization. Kinda, kinda not. Um, but yeah, so there's like groups. I know, right? I'm, I'm my own worst some enemy here. There's groups. Yes, right. Some of them. Uh, but there's basically men's prayer groups all over the world, really. Yes. And so there's one of these prayer groups in Seattle, and the, they they let the filmmakers, the documentary makers, come in, and it's. I'd say like three quarters African-American, one quarter white from what I could see, like from the, there was like, I don't know, 12 guys um, that were there. One of the white guys is like, where are the people of color on your film crew? You can tell yes. the documentary maker was like, so taken aback, was like, it stammered, was like, um, yeah, in the industry, we need to be more diverse. We do have some women on our team. And he totally stammered through it. So you could tell in this particular prayer group, yeah. Like diversity and diverse representation was a topic that they talk about. And That's I was right. frankly shocked. Yeah. Um, and so that also was telling me something about the filmmaker. Yeah. Right. The documentary maker is also like, of course, they're skewing for a particular perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was really glad to get the sort of like on the ground what yeah. these guys were talking about. Right. And they were talking about like kind of evaluating their um their own inner self. They didn't have the kind of they didn't have as much of the evangelical chashki yes. talk among them. And they were talking about diversity. And the guy, you know, the kind of the guy who was giving them, I don't know if he was the leader. I don't know how it all works. But he had been to the National Prayer Breakfast. He was like, I wasn't going to go because I was sure it was just going to be a bunch of rich old white men again telling me what to do. And I'm not yep. interested. And then God told me that I actually do need to love them, like mm -hmm. as horrible as they are. And yeah. I found that fairly moving, yeah, actually. Yeah. And he obviously wasn't self-abasing himself in order to do that. Yeah. So yeah. he wasn't, he he was yeah. like a really strong black man, right? He yeah. wasn't, he wasn't falling into the trap of like, oh, I have to like erase myself in order mm -hmm. to give these guys power. He was like, but God told me that, you know, they're people and, and God loves them and I need to too. Mm -hmm. um, and he had, yeah, so I, I didn't know what to make of all of that at the end. I'm really glad they included it. I yeah, really loved that. Oh, go ahead, Keith. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think it's a it's it's I'm glad he did include it because the filmmaker could have left that out. I mean, he's making the movie. Uh, yeah. it, you know, he could have said, oh, that's embarrassing to me. I'm going to cut that part out or or this guy in Seattle doesn't follow the, you know, the, my agenda. I want to I want to convince people this is really scary and really, you know, powerful. and They have such control and, and all of these groups are really dangerous and we should really be afraid of them and stomp them out. And instead. Right, he ends it by saying, "Well, here's an example of a group that actually isn't so bad, and maybe actually is a good is good, and maybe their influence isn't so total and complete, and maybe some of these groups aren't, you know, part of this secret agenda." So, I mean, I, I appreciate that he did that, you know, that he that he included that. He didn't have to. It's you know, and it it reminded me a little. So back in the '90s, I thought the Promise Keepers were terrifying um, for a whole bunch of reasons. And there were people in my uh, in my local church in Akron, Ohio, who were members of the Promise Keepers. 
And I remember saying something to my mother about how horrified I was. And she's like, yeah, but so-and-so's wife is glad that he's in the promise keepers because he's no longer drinking and beating her. They're like at the local level, there is something about the way he has encountered Christ and his brothers that he was never allowed to do before because of the way masculinity was constructed and he gets to be vulnerable with people and he gets to work on himself and confess what he's done wrong. And I found myself thinking a lot about that when I was watching that last episode of, uh, cause it's a five part. I don't know if we mentioned that it's a five part documentary. Um, and I just found myself thinking sometimes there are these, um, these national structures that are, uh, oriented towards a particular agenda and <clears throat> there are good people involved uh, on the ground. Yeah. That's right. And Even Jeff Charlotte point. said, you know, the guys he was living with when he yeah. was in the house were good guys for the most part. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing too, to point out, you know, because again, when you make a documentary about an organization like this and you're pointing out all the kind of dark secret, scary agendas and things that they're doing that are behind the scenes that are really bad and they're, and they are, I do, I do think they are up to some, some shenanigans yeah. uh, that are not so good and that need to be exposed. So I, you know, very grateful for the book, very, very grateful for the documentary. Um, but again, like to your point, I, um, I think it's also important to recognize that there are people that are not in on it. They're not, they're not playing along with it. They're not like, Oh yeah, this is the secret thing. And now we've got to make sure we do X, Y, Z. Um, you know, uh, there, there are some really good people and I, uh, I won't name names, but I can, I, I personally know at least four people, um, who for different reasons are invited to the national prayer breakfast and go every year. And, um, and I think at least those four people that I know, um, they're not going for nefarious reasons. They're probably totally oblivious uh, to any of this stuff going on. And I think if they, if they saw the documentary, they'd probably laugh and say, that's not what's happening because they haven't personally experienced that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, not everybody who attends the prayer breakfast, not everybody who may be even a part of one of these Bible studies, um, you know, is sort of like wearing the secret decoder ring and, (laughs) and attending the meetings and, you know, sacrificing the goats or whatever they're doing. Um, uh, not everybody's a part of that, you know, I think, but I do, like I said, I do think that at the higher levels, probably certainly in the, in the Virginia or the DC office, whatever, the people that are really close to people in power and politics, um, they, they, some of them are doing something and they, they have a plan and, um, you know, this only kind of got exposed to in the documentary. You see this where, um, there was some controversy, right. With a, with a particular, um, Senator, they got caught, right? <clears throat> I think yeah. he was cheating on his wife. The governor of uh, South Carolina, I think. Right. And while he's on camera, he said something about the yep. family. Yep. And that was, yeah, that was yeah. like, though, and suddenly all these reporters are like, hey, what's that? Yep. And now, they, now the reporters start sort of like investigating, digging in. And then they yep. found out about this place, the Cedars, and they found out about these little locations and they started investigating. And then it's like, oh, okay. So, he you know. Violated the first rule of the family. You don't talk about Fight Club. I mean, family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, thanks for bringing that up, Keith, because I I did find that, I mean, the the hypocrisy here was just stunning, right? Because, like, guys are supposed to be faithful and blah, blah, blah. And then one of the guys caught cheating, and she was in, like, South America. He was flying on government. Yeah, yeah. go have sex with this woman. And then he comes back, and they're like, well, no, he's in power. We're going to support him. And he kept on flying there, like, way after he was caught. And they were like, eh. And so I found that level of hypocrisy is just... (laughs) It's just funny to me, but thank you, Carl Lentz, to come and show him 
how to face his demons and why he's participating in these affairs. So we can put all the documentaries together here. Maybe I <laughs> can take him to rehab and show him how this is supposed to look. So oh, yeah. I don't know if we're at a last thoughts point. I've got one more thing I want to share, uh, which is like, if, if I have anything close to uh, a hot take on this, it's, uh, and I didn't notice it. I, this is my third time watching it. Cause um yeah. God bless you, uh, well, you know what? I, I've been obsessed with the religious right for a long time. It felt like critical homework. Um, but this time I noticed something I hadn't before that it's actually capitalism uh, all the way down, right? Uh, something that they don't talk very much about in this episode, uh, but they do acknowledge is in 1935 um, when they begin uh, the in- International Christian Leadership, I think is what they're originally ICL, called. ICL, yeah, it's International yeah. Christian Leadership. Um, he, he taught, in fact, in the prayer breakfast materials, they say our origins go all the way back to 1935 when a group of 19 business leaders in Seattle, Washington gathered to deal with a critical issue of the day. And what they leave out is the critical issue of the day was workers were organizing so that they would stop like dying in the workplace. And the corporate corporate leaders were like, well, that sucks. They should die because we make more money. Let's figure out what to do. Maybe Jesus can help us. Um, And (laughs) I think that that's really important because- (laughs) because when we start talking about the international stuff and they're talking about Libya and they're bragging, and I would brag too about the role that the family plays in getting Gaddafi to the uh, negotiation table after the Lockerbie uh, airplane bombing. Um, And I don't know if you caught this, but he says, so, you know, two weeks later, He's handing over the uh, the bombers, and he's able to move forward. And he, Gaddafi says he wants to leave that behind him. Oh, that's and right. We're yeah. Able to, and so I'm listening to this, and I'm like, wow, maybe I have them wrong. And then the guy from the family says. And we were able to establish international business strategies, and we were able yes. to build hotels there, and. It's capitalism uh-huh. all the way down. Uh-huh. And so clearly Christ wanted them to build a hotel. Yeah, they want to get rich because then they have more power. Yes, exactly. So I think that that's something that gets underplayed in the documentary, but I think it's a driving force that, you know, in the same sense of like consolidation of power, consolidation of leadership, towards what end I think is one of the questions. And they say, just, just for relationship. Um, but relationships with whom who gets to the table uh and towards what end i really think it does have a lot more to do with money than the documentary was getting at right and that thank you though for you saying that because yeah that's the other that's the other layer to this onion um is that historically like you said and the the the, what what was the driving force for this group to kind of get started in the first place what they point back to is an anti-labor uh, you know, initiative. So like they're, they're against labor, they're pro business, pro capitalism. They don't, they're against workers' rights. Cause again, Jesus doesn't care about those rabble, you know, don't right. unionize that. That's, that's not Jesus. He, Jesus right. wants you to, you know, it's all about the guy in the power tie, you know, at the top of the building making mm-hmm. billions of dollars. Yeah. And so that's the other part of it too. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I'd forgotten that part about Gaddafi um, yeah. that, yeah, because when at first, you know, they're talking about it, you're like, oh, they want to go over there and they want to give him a copy of the Bible. Yeah. And they want to save his soul. Oh, you know, Qaddafi, yep. we just want you to love Jesus. 
Um, yep. But then, yeah, the end result is, and we made some pretty sweet business deals. <laughs> yep. I didn't see it coming. I should have. <laughs> it's so crazy that everything that they are so that are their pillars, whether they're they're spoken or not, <clears throat> is so anti-Christian or anti-Bible. Even this whole that. thing yeah. about the laborers. At, yes. I'm going to throw a scripture at y'all. You shall not muzzle in the knocks while it treads out the grain. The laborer yes. deserves his wages. Yes. And, and in other words, don't oppress your workforce yes. and give them what they are due. Yes. Clearly, God was not, I mean, that concerned about the, the ox. Well, I, I believe God is humane, you know, and doesn't agree with us abusing animals. But clearly, this is for us yes. to apply to it to humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's just so crazy that everything... Everything that are their greatest work is so anti-Christ to me. It's yes. anti-Christ to me, anti-Christian, anti-biblical, anti-whatever. Um, and that that's a recurring theme. It with all the things that you're that we can look at if we bring it up to just today with how they're treating the immigrants. And I do believe, of course, I believe we should have a borders. Of course, I believe we should have. We need some laws to be put in place so that people aren't just willy nilly coming across the border doing whatever. Uh, but do we? Does that mean we got to pull babies away from their mother's breast and right. orphanize them in the United States foster care system, and we can't find them five, right. ten years later? Does that what that means? I mean, there's that. There's the labor force. There's the rolling back people's rights. There's people and people from voting. And you look at all that, and somewhere behind all this bullshit is some evangelical that's yeah. claiming. It's, they're doing the work of the Lord. If you don't sit your ass down somewhere and mind the business that pays you, worry about your own vote, your own bedroom, your own bed, your own cootie cat, your own asshole, wash your behind, pay your taxes. You know what I'm saying? Stay hydrated and mind your damn business. There's nothing in the scriptures that say we should be doing all this stuff right, in the right. name of the Lord. Nothing. One of my one of my favorite things to do, true confessions. Is to think about past lives and future lives of these people. And that is not minding my own business. But I just think about it. I don't do anything about it. And I'm like, oh, there's going to be some major lessons to be learned the next time they come around um, on this planet. Uh, so that was that was so my topic when right I was the original heretic. Yeah. Just to bring it all back to, um, to the woo <laughs> right there. Yeah, to the woo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to write that novel, actually. <laughs> back um, to the woo. Well, Yes, back to the loop. Well, so, <laughs> so I think the, the family, this is our final episode uh, in the series, for now, isn't it? Anyway. For, now. for now. This might be an ongoing. What's up, Doc? What was that? The final episode for What's Up, Doc? For the series. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, is a clever series name. I love that. Yes. Yes. Oh, for What's Up, Doc. That's what you said. Sorry, my brain is fried on netflix right now i'm like three <laughs> steps behind everything like keith did you say that thing? i think you did did you what'd you say okay so we want to know about your fan favorite conspiracy theories what you think about this um come to our facebook group our free facebook group heresy after hours it's for people at all levels of deconstruction reconstruction let us know what you think about this post your pet theories um, let us know if you think Bigfoot is real and if the family is infiltrating cells all across the United States. And if you've been in one, we want to know who has been to one of these prayer breakfasts uh, on, a, on a macro or micro level. Let us know what you thought and how you escaped. Uh, so it's Heresy After Hours, the free Facebook group. And 
We are grateful to any of you who are in a financial position to support us over on Patreon. But even if you can't, uh, we would be so grateful. Uh, Another way you could support us is by taking time to rate and review us wherever it is you listen to uh, podcasts. It is how people like you find people like us. The non-covert transparent. Yeah. There's also a verse. There's also a verse in First Thessalonians chapter four where Paul says, um, "We should love all of God's family, ha, huh, family." And he says, "Also, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and mind your own affairs." <laughs> See, I am. Look, I'm about to make a T-shirt. Yeah, oh, mind man. your own affairs, people. Mind your own affairs, aka mind your motherfucking business. Yep, I like your version. <laughs>